Welcome to the Exchange for the Exchange podcast, where we exchange ideas about current events, pop culture, and theology. And live. we are on air, boys. Okay. You are live. For the record, <laughs> Josh Pinnell is laughing. Nikolai Carpathia. <laughs> so gentle. <laughs> wow. I don't even know what Alex is going to say at this point. Welcome to the Exchange podcast. It's so good to have uh, the throng to broadcast to. Once again, uh, I am back from the wilderness of Montana to be broadcasting live, and I'm excited to be back. We are not joined by my normal co-hosts. Well, one of them is our stalwart defender, brick wall. Josh Pinnell is with us. How are you doing, Josh? Dude, I'm doing all right, man. I'm visiting my family here in South Carolina before Pastors College starts and getting ready for a solar eclipse because here in SC, there's going to be like a 99%... Uh, coverage of that thing oh sweet dude carly got us like uh like glasses to to watch for the throng's sake for the throng if you have some eclipse glasses here's how you know if they're real or not here's how you know if they're legit or if somebody just sold it to you to to try to blind you for life as a practical joke um Mm. if you can see anything out of those glasses do not wear them what about really good sunglasses (laughs) you're gonna wear normal sunglasses you got like some uh some Tom Cruise aviators from Top yeah, Gun. that's what I have. Dude, <laughs> I don't know what I wear, bro. Dude, I have leftover 3D glasses. Are those going to work, Josh? Will it make it three-dimensional? <laughs> you will see the eclipse better than anyone. <laughs> anyone it will be ever. like the sun is right before your face. Right before your face. That'll be awesome. <laughs> Do it, bro. I'm, I'm definitely doing it. Josh told me not to... To wear those ones, but he can't. He doesn't run my life. I, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> you are the captain of your own soul. The throng might not recognize the other voice we have coming through crystal clear, but that is the voice of one Zach Turkmani, my own kin, my own brother. He's joining us as Daniel Lopez has replaced me in the wilderness for a week. Zach, how you doing, buddy? Good. Good. Glad to be on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm your younger brother. Tell us your one of your favorite movies. Oh, man. See, I thought about this on the car ride over. Did you know this was the question I was going to ask? No, I just knew that these are usually questions you ask a guest on a show. It may not be my all-time favorite, but recently it's been my one of my favorites. is Last of the Mohicans. Mm. Also, another movie that I just recently watched. It was kind of a mistake. Well, not a mistake. The setting was it was a Friday night. Hannah wanted to watch... Um, more of an adventure movie. I suggested Raiders of the Lost Ark. She said that was too intense. I said, okay. Oh, wait. There was this movie I watched when I was a kid that was awesome. And I remembered how crazy it was. And it was pretty adventure. I had Tom Cruise in it. Minority Report. Oh, Dude, my great gosh. movie. Great, great movie, but more intense than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's like that movie on steroids. So I popped that in. And then I remembered the detail of, about, of it giving me horrendous nightmares when i was a little kid well you know let's let's get to these topics boys we we three and this is not a subject we could talk about when daniel was on the podcast are fans of the card game magic the gathering maybe a shock for some people to hear but that is the that is the truth why should christians play magic the gathering and i'm gonna throw it to zach first I should throw, no, I should throw it to Josh first. You can throw it to Josh. I was just going to say it's really hard to like make this theological. Okay. So I'm unless to, I'm unless to, you're only playing white. 
<laughs> speaking of what speaking of playing white, white, let's go to our second topic, which is racial reconciliation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that we'll go to that in a second. Josh, uh, why should Christians play Magic the Gathering? Oh man, well, I'll be honest with you, I haven't played Magic in about three years. So I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a fan. It was more uh it just got too expensive, man. Oh sure, oh, for sure. Out. Yeah. But why should Christians play it? I would say because it presents an it presents a unique opportunity to meet new people, and I've known someone who has uh, witnessed to someone through meeting them at Magic the Gathering tournaments. Uh, they become or become a Christian because of it. So beyond that, I mean, I think we can. I think it's not wrong to say because it's fun. Like, mm. we don't have to overly yeah. spiritualize it. Uh, God is a God of logic. Enjoying games that require logic is enjoying God in that sense. All right, Zach, I'm going to throw it to you, buddy. You do see a lot of the same people when you go to these places. I mean, I usually only go for pre-release. A lot of these guys are, I mean, they get made fun of a lot. And a lot of the guys that are there are really kind of loners. And they're really open to someone being nice to them and treating them with more dignity than they're used to. But you can just tell they're very worldly people. I mean, that's that's a lot of the crowd. So being there and being active in a community like that, where a lot of people's are people's guards are down because they're enjoying a game, is actually a pretty pretty unique place to be in a lot of times. The mental side of the game is something that's really good and rewarding and strenuous to kind of work out your mind and think of all the angles and stuff. And any last thoughts on uh, Magic: The Gathering? Someone's gonna say what? You're playing a game with spells and demons and magic. That's why I only play blue and white. The <laughs> colors of honor and nobility. Dude, God, God <laughs> knows no such thing as good magic. What about Chronicles of Narnia? Dude, God did not write Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> Touche. Why are you playing a game that the whole premise is you're a planeswalker who casts spells, some of which are evil? What are you presupposing about, quote-unquote, casting spells that puts it automatically within so uh especially deuteronomy 18 you know you can't have any witches among you um among the people of god uh no necromancers no no sorcerers anything like that saul the king of israel is condemned for going to see the witch of endor magic is a sin i think when you're discussing the type of magic that's being discussed in those texts you're talking about demonically powered magic whereas in the game you're not quote unquote summoning these spells by the power of demons. It's it's a it's a fictional um, universe, really. Universe written into the card game, where in that world, magic is something that can happen. Not not like a demonic sort of thing, but like a just like a mystical like fictional thing. Yeah, another way to look at it is that I remember um, thinking about it when I first started getting into the game was basically every game you play you're going to be doing something you normally wouldn't do. Take, for instance, Risk is all about global domination. Now, if any one of us started on this whole thing to start taking over the world through military force, <laughs> most people would associate that with like Hitler or Napoleon or a lot of bad characters throughout history. Or even Monopoly, where the whole goal is to make sure the rest of the people that you're playing with are as bankrupt as possible while you accumulate wealth. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't take it... With a sense of levity, it's not really meant to be teaching you anything from the lore of the game, but it's meant to be enjoyed and it's meant to be strategized about 
Let's, uh, unless we have any other thoughts, let's move on to the second topic of the night. Boys, this one's a little more serious. It seems as though the racial divide in our country uh, continues to grow, and we've seen just some, some recent events that have kind of escalated things. Uh, boys, I want to just address racism and its part, the Christian, and um, how the gospel addresses racism. And I passed it to Josh first on the last one. I passed it to Zach on this one. Josh, Zach, what does the Bible have to say about racism? What does the Bible have to say? What does the gospel uh, do to racism? Well, I mean, to put it to put it frankly, the gospel should eradicate racism. For instance, if we look at it from just an overall overall biblical perspective, the idea of a pure race or um, a superior race or anything like that is absolutely ludicrous. Just from Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, we all came from Adam and Eve. Therefore, no race could really be superior by any measurable or important way. But as you continue throughout, you continue to see that God is developing a people of many different cultures, many different walks of life, many different backgrounds, society, classes. And so to me, in short, I'll, I'll let you guys go a little deeper in it. There's just no room in in the gospel for racism or for thinking you're superior to your fellow brothers in any way. Josh, thoughts, buddy? Just fin- just going off of what Zach just said, you know, you and then you get to the end of the Bible and uh, you read that heaven is filled with people from who Jesus bought from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, which means that heaven is going to be hell for a white supremacist, and he won't even want to be there. I think I, I posted a status on Facebook about. Uh, Numbers 12, where Aaron and Miriam tried to take Moses's place of authority. I posted a uh, quote by John Calvin on there also that they couldn't find they couldn't find any way in which they were his superior. And so what they decided to do was attack him based on the fact that he had a Gentile wife, because that was the only thing that they could find from their perspective, which of course is is racist. God gives Miriam leprosy because of that, which is ironically a skin disease. And so leprosy, of course, Mary would be kicked out of the people of God. Like she's kicked out of the camp. She 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 won't be with the people of God. In other words, if you're if you are a racist, there's no part for you in the people of God apart from forgiveness and apart from cleansing uh, that Jesus gives. Sin has caused racism. You know, the Tower of Babel being the originating divide between mankind. And that the gospel is going to eradicate those things. God drew lines between mankind and and the gospel is bringing together all the nations. That's the arc of race in the Bible. Any sort of talk that is inconsistent with our brothers and sisters who are of other nations is talk that's not consistent with the Bible and is talk that's not consistent with Christ. And it's more akin to the nation, the, the kingdom of man and not the kingdom of God. Um, we can pray for these events. We can pray for our country. We can pray for the world. The gospel would continue to break that barrier down and cause um, all of us to be unified um, under Christ, regardless of our race. Any last thoughts on this? Yeah, I just had one more when Josh was talking. Um, what's ironic about the passage you, you were talking about, Josh, is that when you think about it, Israel as a race was actually chosen by God and were as very special people, and yet he did not tolerate the idea of superiority to the other races. And the point being, they weren't anything special on their own merit. They were only special because of God's blessing.
blessing and of his selection. Mm-hmm. And of course that changes as you read the rest of the Bible and get to the New Testament. I mean, there was a Whoa, lot. whoa, buddy. Whoa. You're up with you. <laughs> you're you're cracking open a can of worms, man. You're cracking open a can of worms. Dude, he Among the throng, I mean or? I mean he's 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 also presupposing that his resurrection is unconditional. And mm. election election in general is unconditional. I, I mm. do I do think that's a lot of bombs. Just a lot of bombs right here. I, I definitely am making No, I think yeah, I think I think it's a great point, man. I think that, you know, if if you don't believe in unconditional election you have a hard problem with that. You have a big problem with that text. But go ahead, man. So when you get to the New Testament, when you get to the New Testament, the concept of Israel is expounded upon. That's a that's a good that's a good word, Zach. That's a good word. <laughs> I like, I like uh, that word. Or clarified, clarified, clarified. Clarified. Sure. Either one. Dude, we should have. Dude, we should have Zach on sometime and have a Romans eleven debate. Mm. Let's do it. That's. I would like love fun. that, man. I just stomp Alex every time. Whatever. Into the ground. Uh, Josh is kind of slipping into heresy a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're modalist now? Awesome. No, World-, <laughs> World War Three is starting to... Is, it needs to happen so Josh will rethink his eschatology. No. Yeah, because we always do that. We base on the newspapers and the current events. I, that's exact. I get all my eschatology from the newspaper. No matter oh, yeah. what the Bible says, you know, I dude, interpret Trump's, my dude, eschatology. Dude, I get my eschatology from uh, Goodwill Bookstore. <laughs> yeah. Dude, there's just shelves of it. It's like gold. There's so many copies, man. There's so many copies. Well, there's not that many Christians out there. We all know that. I think that's exactly what Jesus meant when, you know, there was a wheat field with a couple tares in it. You know, and there was, you know, a dragnet that couldn't be pulled in, you know, mm. all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. That was just because the net was snagging. That was just a bad net. Because when, when a net is empty, it snags. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about, man? Dude, that's when a net is empty, it drags on the bottom and it catches on stuff. That's what, <laughs> that's why it was so hard. <laughs> Dude, all I had to say is Revelation 19. Revelation 19. What is it that Jesus conquers the nations with? The mm. sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of God. That is a bloody and gory battle with Christ alone as the victor as he conquers his enemies with the gospel. Amen. I agree. Yeah. You know what they say in John 4, though, dude? You know, Jesus is like, dude, we have a lot of harvesters and the field looks empty. Dude, if I hear this verse one more time, uh, like out of context. One of the best sermons I heard on Isaiah 6, there's a guy, guest speaker, it was like, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And the preacher goes, so Isaiah was saying, God, I cuss all the time, and everyone else cusses all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, that could be a symptom. <laughs> that could be a symptom, but don't think that's what he's talking about. It could about. be a symptom. <laughs> it's in the Hebrew, dude. It's in the yeah, Hebrew. Yeah, you gotta look deeper. You gotta gosh. dig. You gotta dig a little bit to get that one. You gotta do some deep research. Um, all right, boys. Let's get to the last topic. Um, and this is one that I know that Zach is passionate about, <laughs> and Josh also. Josh, you want to just go ahead and plug, man? You want to you want to do that little plug I told you about? Dude, heck yeah, I will. For anyone who's interested, uh, my wife and I are starting a podcast. We have three episodes already recorded. We're gonna be releasing it soon where we review different movies on Netflix to help people know what to watch instead of constantly scrolling um, and taking half an hour to pick a new movie. That's actually super helpful. I have to say, I listened to the pilot episode. Good stuff. So the Netflix Know How podcast will be, or we're recording it, still trying to decide how frequently we're going to be releasing it. It's going to be on a, on a regular basis. So with that being said, 
uh, turn it back to Alex. Josh, which which pod do you consider to be your main, and which pod do you consider to be your side job? Dude, I don't, I don't, I don't have any side pods. I do everything one hundred percent. That's mathematically impossible. <laughs> you only have one hundred percent to give. <laughs> All right, if you if you want to if you want to take an excuse from that question, that's fine. I think I think that I think I think your silence answers it though. Unfortunately. All right, boys. Um, let's just say let's just say that I I come to you guys and I'm like, listen, how? What are some things that I can do to watch movies more profitably? What would you tell me, Josh? I'm gonna throw it to you first. One of my favorite directors is M. I. Shyamalan. One of the reasons that I think mm, he's so good that's controversial is, is the way the way that he shoots movies. So. Signs, which is arguably his best movie, opens up with this shot of a, a nightstand. And on the nightstand is a priest, his wife, and their kids. There's a picture of that. And it starts to zoom out. And as it zooms out, Mel Gibson, who plays the priest, sits up out of bed, puts his hands over his head as he wakes up before he like stands up. And you can see his left hand, and on his left hand, there's no ring on it. And so you wonder, oh, why is it that there's a picture, you know, of him and his wife, but he doesn't have a ring on his finger? And as it keeps zooming out, you see the other side of the bed is empty. And then as it keeps zooming out, it eventually gets out of the room, and you see on the wall where there used to be, where there's a silhouette of a cross, where it looks like a cross used to be there but uh, the cross has been taken off the wall. And so in the, in the opening shot, you get, you, you get so much of the character's backstory. You see that he was married. He had a happy marriage, obviously, because he hasn't taken the picture down. Uh, he doesn't have a girlfriend because he wakes up in bed alone. The ring's off his finger, and he's lost his faith because he's, he doesn't have the cross on the wall anymore. And so you, you, like in the first 30 seconds, you're immersed into this world and into this character. Uh, so I would say just be an observant watcher. Look for things like that. There are no wasted shots in a good movie. And if you watch it with that in mind, uh, then you're going to find things that are that are surprising to you like that. Yeah, I think I think the, it's 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 about being a good literature consumer. Watch a movie the same way you'd read a book. Film is not a less intellectual form of literature. Zach, let me pass it to you, buddy. Um, I do love the technical aspects of how they film things, the cinematography, all those things. All those are very interesting to me. And they do set a movie apart in a lot of ways. But one of the things that I definitely love, and maybe it's just because I love it throughout any medium, is a good story. So one of the things that I like to point out is, and I think people struggle with this on, on, on all mediums, is following the main character, finding who that is. Usually it's pretty simple. Finding who it is, find out what his motivations are, start thinking about what's motivating him to do the things he's doing, figure out his, uh, his foil, all those different literary, literary aspects, and follow where the story goes. I mean, if you find yourself lost in a story that's all jumbled up, you're not quite sure why people are motivated to do what, why these circumstances happen to that person, you can start deciphering which movies were poorly written from movies that were well-written. Um, sometimes it's things are wearing like Citizen Kane is a movie that is highly praised for good reasons. Not only is the cinematography great, not only is the imagery great, but the, the way the characters are written, the way they are developed and the way that they are executed is all top notch. 
dude, along with your idea of how the character progresses and how they look, I, you mentioned their clothing. One like classic example is Luke Skywalker in yeah, yeah. episodes four, five, and six. So in A New Hope, Luke Skywalker is wearing white. In Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker is wearing gray. In Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker is wearing black. Why? Because he's becoming more and more like his father through the robotic arm, through the giving in to his anger. And the question is, is he going to become Darth Vader? And he ends up, he does end up giving into the dark side towards the end. He comes back, but he does end up giving into to the dark side. And that that character progression is told not just on a story arc level, but also through his clothing. Like I think I'm all about the characters. I think when you watch a movie, you should ask. How did the characters change because of the circumstances in the movie? And then you should also be able to describe characters without mentioning their physical appearance. So I think that would be signs of well-written characters and make them human, make them struggle. And I think that is what we relate to. And all three of these really combine into what makes a good movie. Because the story alone, a a lot of movies can have a good story. But they could just be bland through the cinematography to where you don't even want to watch it. You'd rather just read a book. Or there could be a good story. Cinematography could be great, but the characters could be very inconsistent. A question that I've, I've raised before is why read fiction? First of all, why should Christians read anything other than the Bible? And then beyond that, why should Christians read anything other than like commentaries and systematic theologies and devotional literature? Um, but then the next question is why should why should Christians read fiction? And I think that, that goes into why should Christians watch movies that are seeming, seemingly so very, uh, very distinct from their Bible reading. And I think that there are multiple, multiple reasons for that. I think that one of them is that being a good consumer of literature teaches you how to read your Bible better. In my experience, anyway, it's a give-and-take relationship. Like, as I learn to read fiction better, I learn to read the Bible better. As I learn to read the Bible better, I learn to read fiction better. And it really just does go, it does go back and forth. What, what makes literature good literature is that it pulls on our heartstrings for the story that God has woven into, in, into our hearts to love, which is the gospel. So why do people love Harry Potter, why do people love Star Wars, Lord of the Rings? Because there are so many elements of those stories that reflect the story of the gospel. Self-sacrifice through love, a, a chosen one figure. Why is the same story told over and over and over again? Because God has caused us to love that story. And the closer that the stories we write resemble the story that God is writing and God has written, the more we find ourselves loving it. Another thing that, that movies can do is they can just give us snapshots of certain ideas or thoughts that are very grounded in the Bible, but don't actually tell the story of the Bible. Like Minority Report, I was thinking about it on the way here. The reason why I love the movie so much is not just because it's an awesome action movie, it's got a lot of fast-paced scenes and all those things, is that it really deals with the idea of fate and the idea of nihilism. And it kind of pushes back on the notion of nihilism. And I don't want to spoil the movie for anybody, but there's ways for that to work. And that's what's interesting, is if you're paying attention to the story, the characters, the imagery, and you're following what's what's being presented, like you were saying, and it relates back to your reading of Scripture. There's so many nuances and small things and details in the Bible that upon a reading, 
you don't fully understand or you just gloss over it. But the more you take time to figure out the background, the actual historical background of where these things are taking place, why is the Jordan River specifically mentioned here? Why is, um, why is it such a big deal that these things are occurring at the time they're occurring? You miss out on a lot. If you just say, oh, well, Israel got judged, you know, big deal. Or David killed Goliath, big deal. You miss out on such a deeper understanding of it. These are gems, boys. These are gems. Just based on what uh, Zach was saying, a lot of times they give tangible examples for mm-hmm. positive qualities in the Bible. So uh, I just watched Dunkirk recently. Fantastic movie. What's What's great about that movie is that you see tangible explanations and representations of courage throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie, which uh, Re- Revelation 22, the cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what does what does courage look like? Go to the Bible, ask what courage looks like there. But even outside the Bible, you can you can see glimpses of what courage looks like in movies like Dunkirk. That there's there's a give and take relationship there that, you know, we can look to culture and we can look to movies by people made in the image of God. And because, as Proverbs says, wisdom cries in the streets, there are some times that unbelievers hear wisdom's cry and are mm-hmm. able to respond well. And I think that the courage displayed in the characters in, in Dunkirk is a time that they have heard the cry of wisdom and, what, and portrayed it well. God is a God who loves art. God uses gold. He goes and gets the best trees from Lebanon, all these things, to construct his temple. Well, when it comes to movies or books or whatever it is, we have to look at it from also a craft standpoint. Somebody took the time to craft and use their God-given logic, ingenuity, talent, um, wisdom to, to put forth something. Whether it reflects accurately or perfectly, the, the narrative of the gospel um, is up for us to decide. And it's something that's a very good exercise, even if it is a movie that falls short. Like a movie that's very popular that I felt like after the second watch, I was like, this is very discernibly not really pointing me towards um, the right conclusion about truth and ultimate reality. And that was Inception. Um, Kind of at the end there, you get the glimpse of like, well, maybe it was real, maybe it wasn't. And like the whole time, it's kind of like, it's real if it's real to you, um, it's real if it's there type deal. But those types of movies will help make you self-examine sometimes your weakness. But you have to be watching with intent because if you find yourself really drawn to these types of ideas and you're not thinking about them you can start muddling those in with your theology i don't know if i'm just rambling here but no that's that's a good point that's good man all right boys um i think uh i think it's time to wrap things up it's been a pleasure potting with you uh zach (laughs) thank you for joining us we will have you on again very shortly i'm sure thanks for having me uh josh as always buddy it's good to chat with you the exchange podcast can be found um, on twitter at the exchange pod uh throng can listen to back episodes through itunes uh, or subscribe to the podcast listener of your choice thank you for joining us and for now i'm gonna say good night and good luck